Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Headscarfs and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. This show is all about talking about race and diversity and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. And today, I have my good old mate, Nathan Joe. Woo! Woo! Hi, Amal. <laughs> um, so we met through Silverline Festival. Um, that makes it sound like it's a music festival or some banger, but it really isn't. It's sort it's of a banger. It's quite a banger. A wholesome banger. Yeah, a wholesome... Like well-being banger. Yes, yes. So, yeah, that's where I met Nathan, um, part of the dynamic duo. Nathan and Ravi were at Silverline Festival and spoke about I Am Rachel True and their experiences around that. Um, and that was just last weekend. Yeah. It was sure. such a cool weekend. That was very recent. Um so for people who, ha- who had a little bit, for people who haven't heard about I Am Rachel True, oh my goodness, I'm such a mess today. Um, what? How would you describe I Am Rachel True? I Am Rachel True as a postmodern theatre show that deconstructs the blockbuster Hollywood hit Crazy Rich Asians using sort of the intimate and personal stories of New Zealand Asians uh, who kind of thrust their stories into the Crazy Rich Asians narrative and kind of rearrange it to create a new show, a new story, a new piece of art, really, where new ideas of diversity and representation can be explored. Mm. That's really interesting that you bring that up because I think when Crazy Rich Asians first came out, everyone was like, whoa, like, first, not, well, first movie since the Joy Luck Club, or that came out in the 90s, so ages ago. But anyways, the first... Um, movie with like all Asian cast, mm. like this is so representative. Totally. Um, and then a lot of my Asian friends were like, "Oh, that's cool," but like actually, it isn't. Um, not all. It's not hundred percent representative. So for you guys to then go on and make a response to that almost is really really cool. Yeah, I mean, for me, the big thing was it's. I think on one level, it's unfair that there's all this expectation placed on Crazy Rich Asians because it's just one film. But at the same time, I think they've sort of put that onto themselves by marketing and publicizing it as this big thing when it is just a Hollywood film. So for me, it was about going, hey, this is what it is, but what are the gaps that it's left behind or opened up? And how can we fill those gaps with the other experiences that we don't normally hear about? And I think that's really important when we talk about representation and actually, I guess by extension, identification. The more stories and the more sorts of stories we have, the better. Otherwise, you, I think as consumers and as audience members and as just citizens of Earth, you forget what possibilities and the sort of people and, I guess, um, expectations of who you can and should be shift when you see different versions of yourself. If that makes sense. No, I totally get what yeah where you're coming from. I guess um, if you only see crazy rich Asians on screen, perhaps that's all you'll ever aspire to be. Mm, that's so true. Yeah, I wonder um, like what really young um, Asian Kiwis people uh, like yeah kids who watch that what they would have thought of crazy rich Asians mm. and how they would respond to that. 
Um, but when you were making um, I Am Rachel Chu, how did you go about finding other Asians who also felt the same way as you? I mean, I'm very lucky and blessed to have been living in Auckland for the last seven years. Before, in the Auckland. In the Auckland. In before the Auckland. I, <laughs> it is a monolith. Um, before moving back to Christchurch. But, you know, there's a real growth and populace of really talented Asian artists there, mm-hmm. Asian actors in particular. So it wasn't hard for me to go, these are the sorts of people I want to see on screen or on stage or just, you know, I want to see their stories told. And... Yeah, so a lot of them are just friends or practitioners I've worked with in the past. So the three were Amanda Grace Leo, Woo. Ravikant Grunathan, Woo. and um, Angela Zhang. Yes. And it was sort of like the four of us creating the show together. And then when we brought it back, we had another practitioner, Dione Joseph, who came along to kind of like mentor me. Cool. Um, cause, so you had two rounds of mm. I Am Rachel Chu. Um, so what were the responses? I mean, was it so wildly successful the first round? They're like, yo, you have to come back and like show it again? or how? I mean, yeah. that sort of was the vibe. We had enough people say, enough enthusiasm that we were like, okay, we'll bring it back because mm-hmm. apparently some people want to see it. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the thing. There's always the risk of like people saying that and you bring it back and then the people who are like, ah, oh, I'm so sad I missed it. Don't even come, and you're like, we brought it back for you. <laughs> but most, mostly, uh, um, the people who said they missed it did come, I think. And luckily, you know, people who didn't see it or didn't even hear, hear about it for the first time, heard about it for the first time, saw it the second time, which was great as well. But um, it's weird to talk about like th- something being successful in like a small theatre context because it's like, I think it was successful within its framework, but at the end of the day, it in a small venue, theatre has such a small audience anyway. Mm. So really what you're trying to do um, is not create like a big audience. I mean, hopefully, but I think rather than a big audience, it's like an audience that really re- – like a small audience that really resonates in this case, I think, because it was an Auckland Fringe show first. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah, maybe not success in that sense, but more like what was the response to I yeah. Rachel Chu? What kind of conversations did it trigger? And I'm also really curious – who came to see? Was it like a lot of ethnic people who were like, that's my story too. Yeah, it was, definitely, it was definitely more that. <laughs> it was definitely more the resonance and um, relating to it and feeling heard and seen kind of mm-hmm. side of things. But honestly, like when we got more mixed sort of Pakiha and ethnic audiences, that was really cool actually because you got to see people seeing people seeing themselves reflected. Rather than just because it's it's not really just a show that you watch, just the practitioners on stage. I think you're really there to immerse yourself in the vibe, mm. the collective energy of the room, the collective understanding, and like the collective um, togetherness that the I think the show at its best creates that sense of space and that space of belonging. And I think that's so important in like 2019 to have a space that cultivates a sense of belonging. Mm. For sure, for belonging for everyone mm. as well. Mm, that's really, really interesting. Um, how ha- have you, since making I Am Rachel Chu, has it changed or have you evaluated your opinions on things like belonging or how you feel as an Asian Kiwi person now? Because like, through this podcast, I've definitely rethought a lot on how I think about several things um, how I identify 
where my sense of home is, um, where my pride comes from. So did you go through a similar journey? Yeah, I think for me, I think this is technically was my first all Asian cast that I've worked with, actually. And also the first time I've produced a show that I guess was is for that purpose, for an Asian audience or mm. f- is an Asian story specifically. And I think prior to creating the show, I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be nice. It was like an, a nice idea. And, but it wasn't until actually creating it, getting down into the rehearsal room and then putting it on that I was like, actually, it's not just a nice idea and it's not just a nice piece of art that makes us feel good. It actually is really – there's a real sense of urgency and necessity to it, I think, because you know I got to see these practitioners, these actors that I was working with, really find themselves in the process and actually even find myself in this process because up until this point I I didn't know how important it was to myself until I was really put to the test until I was until I demanded it of myself if that makes yeah. sense yeah how how did you, how exactly did you find yourself was it I guess I didn't realize what I had been missing out on mhm I think I had sort of tricked or deceived myself into thinking I didn't need a space of healing as much as I did. Right. And then actually yeah. to create a space of healing, you go, oh, shit, I'm dealing with a lot of trauma. Yeah. And being able to attend to that trauma and address it was pretty amazing. And now it's made me go, actually, can I keep creating work that addresses this trauma or a trauma or something urgent and important and necessary and pertinent and universal yeah. rather than just making art for art's sake. Wasn't that what art is at the end of the day, trying to tell a story that hopefully calls to a little bit of humanity in another person? They'll be like, you know. Yeah, I think definitely. Soul to soul, like, oh. And I think we just forget that sometimes. I think we sometimes get caught up in the idea of like art making for commercial or craft or to impress mm. versus to, to create, heal. to heal mm. and to create empathy. Yeah. Even though we say, I think we say that that's what we want to do. I think, no, if we always remember that or feel it. Yeah. Damn, that got really deep all of a sudden, but I love that. I love that. Um, so a while back you said you grew up in Christchurch. Mm. What was that like? Because, like, to be honest, all of my ethnic friends that have grown up in Christchurch, they've always had some not-so-nice things to say yeah, <laughs> about I it. Yeah, I mean, most people I talk to, especially, like, POCs who've been born and raised there, have quite a bit of, like, baggage and beef with the place. But <laughs> and that's fair enough. But um, I'm quite lucky to have been brought up in like Upper Riggerton, which, for those who know, is Please sort of where... elaborate what that means. That's, the su- that's one of the <laughs> suburbs, but it's quite like a Asian, especially Chinese-heavy area. So I never felt too displaced. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never forgot that I was Chinese, but there were enough of us around that there was a sense of community and you had, like, visible clicks of Asian-ness around. <laughs> Which, you know, is a small consolation. So for me, it was never like a big issue. Mm-hmm. But 
it's not the most like as a whole Christchurch isn't the most diverse place and actually like the CBD and the city I mean especially now but back then also like if you went out you would definitely feel displaced and to be honest if I go out now into town in the wrong sort of areas I can feel very like conscious of my race which is not something that happens to me when I go out in Auckland yeah I feel like every single time I go to Auckland, I'm like, whoa, we're with white people. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I'm just Auckland not... I'm personally crazy. not used to that diversity. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's amazing. Auckland's like pretty... I think Auckland gets a lot of flack for being like too Auckland and too like yo-pro and capitalistic and its infrastructure being kind of like hectic and intense and... You know, it's like a super city that eats you up and spits you out kind mm. of vibe. That's like the vibe I get from... Cantabrians who talk to me about Auckland. So there is like this real love-hate relationship between the two cities, it seems. But what Auckland has going for it is that um, diversity, and it is a incredible melting pot, even though that's a kind of problematic word, I think, or term. But I think it is an incredible melting pot if you think of it as like a positive thing. Is that why I Am Rachel Chu was based in... Auckland rather than Christchurch? Or I mean, you, I just, guess you just happened to it, be in Auckland? We, ju- we just were in Auckland yep. and that's what it is. But at the same time, it, it is based in Auckland because I don't think it, like it doesn't, Iron Rachel in a weird way doesn't make sense in Christchurch. That's kind of how different the two cities are. Like I don't think it speaks to the state of Christchurch, unfortunately, <laughs> as a you know diverse place that has a lot of Asian sort mm. of voices. Yeah. Mm. Um, I wanted to ask you more about growing up in New Zealand. Like, were you born here as well? Mm. Yep. Oh. So born and raised Christchurch. Yep. Um, yeah. Mum was an immigrant, but dad's a Chinese Kiwi as well. Born and raised here in New Zealand. And then I've got one sister. Oh, cool. Is she older or younger? Uh, or? Younger. Three years younger. Mm. Um, with... Are your parents quite, um, what's the word, like traditional? Do you ever find like culture clashes mm, with like, them? They definitely are, but not um, rigidly so. Mm-hmm. Like, mum's definitely more traditional in the sense that she's always sort of resisted assimilating. And, you know, even to this day, despite having been here for um, 20 or 30, you know, odd years her English is still not great and that's not a criticism but it's I think a reflection of how much she's refused to assimilate and or hasn't wanted to assimilate for better Mm. or for worse whereas dad is a Chinese Kiwi sort of born and raised Chinese Kiwi he's a lot more open-minded and liberal because of his just like general kind of blokey kiwi nature that he's adopted yep and that's an interesting one because it doesn't sit separately from his asianness at all it intertwines in really interesting ways like he is kind of like this quintessential kiwi male on one side of the coin and then on the other side of the coin this kind of very solid like asian male patriarchal figure and those things overlap actually much more than I think mm. you would imagine. That's yeah. so interesting. That's so interesting. It must have been really nice to have 
um, someone to look up to who has already assimilated two cultures. Mm. I think kind he, of echoing what you're yeah, going definitely. through as well. I think the expectations for him assimilating were a lot different, and he's had to hold on and let go of different things than I've had to. Mm-hmm. And he also hasn't didn't need to probably um, scrutinise certain aspects of cultural identity to the same extent that our generation has. Like, I think we're very hyper-aware of the expectations and pressures and traumas that our sort of lineage has carried over to us. Whereas I think for him it was just about surviving and raising a family and being a good dad. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think for us there's like the sense of the world at uh at like the, the sense that we're sort of sitting at the edge of the world looking into all these problems and that's not to say it's easier or harder for my, either or either or it's just the things that we fixate on are different like i don't think about family at all whereas he probably thought about family a lot i mean sorry the idea of raising a family ah uh, yeah not a, <laughs> Throwing your family under the yeah. bus. Sorry, mom, sorry, Dad. But yeah, the idea of like raising a family doesn't really come into play t- for me anyway. If anything, that's like a, a something looming. It's a concern, the idea of family, because of the state of the world and where and what sort of world. What world are you bringing yeah, your children exactly. into, right? Yeah. Whereas I think for him and my mum, it was less about how do I raise a good family. Yeah. And that's that's not a easy thing either. No, oh my god. Yeah. God no. But it's a different perspective on that question, I guess. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I've totally No no no, you're I don't even right. Know you're the, right. The, I can't even remember um, what the question was. Well, well well what I was hoping to talk about was if with the culture clash type of thing, mm. do your parents understand you being so active in the arts sector? Because I think a lot of well, Asian parents, but also in my culture as well. Like people expect you to have jobs that have high standing mm. in society, but also make money. So, like your options, are either doctor, lawyer, mm. or engineer. I think definitely my mum. Again, I think for her, it's more just the environment that she's been brought into, and all her sort of friends or contemporaries, I should say, that have moved to New Zealand as well and their kids I think it becomes it's less about her intrinsically thinking lawyer teacher doctor and more that the community around her a lot of their kids that are doing well are doing those things so it's more the comparison than it is the thing in itself right yep oh yeah comparison is yeah. such a huge thing like did you hear this person's yeah I think there's that is doing xyz <laughs> I think sh- yeah unfortunately for better or for worse for my mum it's uh, kind of face it's about face losing uh, losing face and saving face and reputation uh, I think there's a lot of that for her and for my dad I think he's a lot more chill but me being in the arts and not necessarily earning a lot or really earning <laughs> A little, even at times. <laughs> Isn't like the best vibe for him, I think. But all things considered, they're pretty accepting. Man, that's wicked. I think that would be a pretty tough conversation if I had to have that with my parents. Mm. Um, but you brought up the dreaded R word and, and not racism, but reputation. Mm. That is always something that comes yeah. up in my like conversations with my parents. 
Um, but what what associations do you have with that word? I guess it's for me and for my family. I think what it's sort of bound up in is this idea of other families and people we know and family friends looking down on you slash us. I think that's probably the biggest thing is that they don't want to be seen as bad parents or failures or their kids to be seen as failures and be gossiped about and stuff like that. I think that's really paramount actually to them. Like they really care what people think, I think. Mm. (laughs) I, I get the sense that. That's the case anyway. Mm. Yeah, I think it's just, well, yeah, partly due to human nature, but also it just has a different nuance, I think, in ethnic cultures, mm. especially being in countries like New Zealand. Um, I think shame is a big part of it. Like, I think when you, a lot of ethnic cultures, especially Asian ones, you know, the the concept of face and shame and guilt are really bound up in, unfortunately, like familial obligation and familial expectation. And again, it's not to say that a Western Pakiha family doesn't have though that to wrangle with, but I think culturally, not ethnically, but culturally we're raised in an environment where shame can be used against you. <laughs> yeah. And that can be pretty tough it can be pretty tough yeah um when have you felt like being chinese has not been tough like when are you like yes i'm so like i'm so proud to be um chinese and repping here in new zealand hmm oh god the the fact i feel like the fact that i have to think about it is kind of an indictment but it's not um i i like being able to be in a place like New Zealand and look at it both as an insider and as an outsider. Like it mm, means that I'm perpetually oh, never quite just a citizen or I'm never quite at home, but I've also grown to love that kind of sense of displacement, which sounds kind of weird, but I love being, you know, one foot in, one foot out. Um, Helene Wong, I think, did this talk where she talked about being Chinese in New Zealand means sort of being in a state of ambivalence. But I think that ambivalence can also be quite empowering because, you know, we are all citizens of the world and, you know, the world is our home, not one place. And I think that's what it's gotten me to recognise, to be able to look from a non-traditionally Pākehā perspective at everything and be lent a lens that I think offers new ways of seeing Mm. and I think that's a really cool thing to be able to see things in ways that other cultures cannot and in the same way they can see things that I can't see and by result we can create things and say things and voice things that each other we haven't heard before you know new not new words new languages in a literal sense but new words new languages in a kind of more poetic sense Mm. Mm. 
I feel that. It takes a, a while to get to that place of enjoying having one foot in the other. Mm. But no, I 100% feel what you just said. Um, one final question before we head out. If your culture had to be a person, how would you describe them? Um, what would their personality be like? I guess it, probably it's like less like a person and more like a fusion restaurant in that it's sort of like you're kind of embarrassed about it, but it's actually quite good. <laughs> like it's actually really good, but you're kind of embarrassed that it's such a weird mishmash of things and you kind of feel like it's a bit selling out at times, but actually it's just finding its own voice in its own weird way, I think. It's, yeah. Oh, I like that. I like how you made it a restaurant, not a person. <laughs> Yes, I'll come. I'll come. I can eat there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us at Hiscus and Good Yarns today, Ethan. It's been such a good yarn, man. Thanks, Amal. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, guys, and catch you next time. See ya. Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.